0: into the promised land. morning, everybody. I uh, hope you're having a great day. I uh, look forward to a strong weekend with the Lord. Um, today, uh, we finished up Mark chapter 6, uh, last time we were together, and a, a quick review of Mark 6. Um, Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and then he walked on water. And then he healed a bunch of sick people. Other than that, he didn't do anything. So, uh, I want to go on to Mark chapter 7. And let's start with the tradition of the elders. Uh, this is runs from Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. Now, this week... Uh, I'm not using the MEV, I'm using the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 version. So, uh, let me go ahead and begin reading. Uh, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered to Him after they came from Jerusalem and saw some of His disciples were eating bread with unholy hands. That is, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the other Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands thereby holding firmly to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they completely cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received as traditions to firmly hold, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk in accordance with the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands. Now, at this point, uh, I'm sure we've all run into uh, traditions that don't how do I want to say it that they don't help anybody. They're just things that we do. Um, I was in a uh, Bible study on Saturday morning for years. And um just a bunch of guys got together at 6:30 on Saturday morning to to read and study the Bible so you know they're all serious so they wouldn't be there. And um uh the the gentleman that led this Bible study invited a pastor to come. And and he did. He showed up and it just happened on that Saturday that we were having communion. And um when uh, when the, the man running the Bible study brought out communion, the pastor got upset and he said, um, you can't do communion unless there's a ordained pastor that can do it. It has to be an ordained pastor. And um, we were a little bit caught off guard and so the gentleman running the Bible study asked him, well, show me in the Bible where it says that. And this this pastor gave the most remarkable <coughs> excuse me the most remarkable response he said oh it's not in the bible it's in our bylaws so he wanted us to not do communion because of the bylaws of the church that he went to and needless to say we had communion and uh, he never came back so uh this part of the of the program uh That Jesus was walking through, tradition of the elders gets him in trouble because these are things that God didn't command, they're just things that people put on there. Now, um, Jesus responded to them in verse 6 with scriptures. Uh, In those scriptures he said, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men, neglecting the commandment of God. Then he proceeds to, to take a bite out of the Pharisees, so to speak. Uh, verse 9, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Then he goes by and talks about uh, how that they would give money that was supposed to go to their parents to help them, and um, they don't do it, they give it to the church and uh the point to be made was they've got their priorities completely wrong now Jesus goes on down in verse fourteen or actually in verse thirteen he says to him. You invalidate the Word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many such things. Now, I don't want to invalidate the Word of God. So, if if we're doing something, and if our church would come up with something that we need to do this, and we need to do that, and so forth and so on, if it's not in the Word, I don't go for it. And uh, I want to see it in the Word. If it's in the Word, then we can participate. But if it's not in the Word, and thank God my church doesn't do this, but if it's not in the Word, we don't do it. So uh, keep that in mind. uh, Part of what Jesus was getting in trouble with was He cut across the traditions of men. Now, verse 14. After He called the crowd to Him, He began saying to them, Listen to Me, all of you, and understand... There's nothing outside a person which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which come out of the person are what defile the person. And when he later, when he was away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about this parable. Now listen to his response in verse 18. He said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding as well? Do you not understand that what goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? So, food is the, the classic example here. Uh, all food was created by God to be enjoyed by people, and there is no food that's bad. So, now there's some food that you probably shouldn't eat, like Brussels sprouts. Those probably shouldn't be eaten by humans, but people do like them. My wife likes them. So, Anyway verse 18 are you so lacking in understanding as well he's getting on the disciples because they don't understand the gist of what he's talking about verse 19 because it goes in does not go into your heart but into your stomach and is eliminated and he's giving you a good definition of uh, spirit soul and body um he makes a distinction here between your body and your spirit, because what you eat physically goes into your physical body, not your spirit. Now, verse 21, or verse 20, he was saying that what comes out of the person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the heart of the people, come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, and acts of adultery. Deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, evil, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, one of the issues... I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1978. N- yes, 1978. Now I got saved in 1968 uh, in a reform school. So... I had ten years where I had no teaching on the Holy Spirit. I had no teaching about spirit, soul, and body. I just had teaching on, A, you need to get saved, and B, um, turn or burn. That was the, the way I was taught. Now, what Jesus is doing here is He's telling us that out of your spirit man, the things that are in your spirit man, the things that you've absorbed over the years... Those seeds that have been planted, we talked about that earlier in Mark, the seeds planted, the enemy plants seeds, and they begin to grow. Some later, some earlier, some quicker, some longer. But those seeds will begin to grow. And here, the items that he's talking about here in verse 21, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, indecent behavior, and so forth, these are all things that are bad seed, the fruit of bad seeds that have been planted in your heart. Now, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, some of those seeds, and it goes back to what Jesus said, uh, the parable where the guy says, uh, Didn't we plant good seed in the soil? Uh, Jesus said, Yeah, but an enemy has done this. And so the enemy plants these seeds you don't know that they're in there and they they begin to bear fruit at the wrong time. So, in the process of bearing fruit, sometimes, you know, you're just minding your own business and something will trigger some seed that's been buried in you and out of your heart comes cursing, slander, and stuff that you didn't even, didn't even know was in there. These things here are what defile a person. So, the point that we were talking about earlier with the parable of the sower, the sower sows the seed, and these are the way, by the wayside where they hear the word Satan comes immediately. These are Satan's seeds, and this is the fruit of his seeds. And what you do is begin to believe God to get these things out of here. So I want to make sure that, that we understand here, he's getting on the, on the, on, not on the disciples, but on the Pharisees, because they're coming up with traditions of men, things that you ought not do because of their tradition, not because God said so. And they missed the point. Remember up here in verse 18, He said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding as well? He's saying that the Pharisees were lacking in understanding because they think these things that were outside were causing problems. Now, within that framework, it's not. So we'll go on um verse twenty four now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre, and when he had entered a house he wanted to know about and yet he could not escape notice. he didn't want anyone to know he was there, but he couldn't escape notice. I would not think so. I would think that it would be hard for him to get away from people, although in some respects in his in his uh Day and age, you might say. It might be easier because there's no electronic stuff to catch. You can't text. You can't call and phone. You can't, you know, the NSA and the government's not tracking you, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, so, but yet, the people know he's there, and they're following him. Now, we're going to see some other things about the people here in just a few minutes. said so he could not escape notice, but after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent, and she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Get that word there. She repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She was persistent. Now this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 verse 1. He taught a parable that men ought always to pray and not give up. That's what she's doing here. She didn't just say it one time and walk off. Because if she did, her little daughter would still be in trouble. But she kept after him. She just kept after him. I I need this done, and I'm after it so that you'll do it. Now, she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Now, uh, Jesus is calling her a dog. Uh, I'm sure in today's cancel culture, if somebody, if, if those that are into the cancel culture actually read the Bible they would probably cancel it because of this. He called her a dog. Now, remember, he's a Jew. She's not. So there's all kinds of problems there between non-Jews and Jews. At this point, because of her answer, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back home, she found the child lying on bed and the demon gone. Now, the interesting thing about this story, and, and uh, let me check my notes here to make sure. She was in the region of, of Tyre and Sidon. Now, that's up in the northwest part of the area that Jesus is talking about. It's the northwest part uh, along the sea. Now, at that point, this woman has heard about Jesus. Now, that's word of mouth that is not uh, texting. She didn't log on to the Internet. She didn't go to her web page and find out. It was word of mouth. And she heard about it, and she had enough concern about her daughter and about this demonic situation that she expressed to Jesus, if I can get him to do this, he'll cast out the demon on my daughter. And he did that. And she was persistent to make sure that he did. So, now, let's go down to verse 31. This is an interesting story, interesting scripture. Uh, I've looked at this on a map, and I haven't figured out how, how this happened. It said, He left the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Now, in most maps that you look at, that means that he crossed down this side over here, then he went up this way, and he went down around and came back to the Sea of Galilee. Kind of a strange route to get to where he got. But that's what it says that he did. Now, my little analysis from Tyre to Sidon over to here and and, and through Galilee into the Decapolis and back up may not be the right way, but it is definitely an unusual way to go now verse uh pardon me i lost my way here there we go now verse 32 and they brought him to one who was deaf they brought to him one who was deaf and had difficulty speaking and they begged him to lay his hand on him so they've he's got a guy that's having trouble speaking Can't hear? And uh, they begged him to lay hands on him. So, this guy comes up and they're begging Jesus, please lay your hands on him so that he can hear and speak. Now, look what Jesus did. This This is so interesting to me. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Now, this is not tradition. Don't you think this made the Pharisees mad? Because there's Pharisees watching this. They're, they're watching him all the time. And they're just looking for something to get him in trouble with. And this is, this is an area where he's in tro- he can get in trouble. But, but listen to what he did. Stuck his finger in his ear, spit on the ground, and then touched his tongue with saliva. What if somebody did that today in church? What would you do? What would you think? Would you do it? Now, we know one thing by going to John chapter 5, verse 19 and, and verse 30, that Jesus only did the things that the Lord told him to do, and he only spoke the things that the Lord told him to speak. So, in this case, this is what the Lord told him to do. Is it strange? Yeah, it is. And it didn't work the first time. It didn't work the first time. Jesus is practicing persistence. Watch this. Jesus took him aside from the crowd, put his fingers in his ears, spit on the ground, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Epaph- Epaphata, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and the impediment with his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Now, looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, what does the deep sigh signify? Well, I'm thinking, you know, I, I can think of situations where uh, somebody asks you to do something and they keep after you, and, and it's like, you know, how do you, how do you open the door? Well, you put the key in, turn the lock, and open the door. And they can't do it. And, you know, after the fifth time they ask you, you take a deep sigh and go, let me do it. You know, it's a sign of of aggravation most of the time. But in this case, when you looked up the word deep sigh, Spiro Zodiotis, in his Bible, in his study Bible, he gives a long definition of this word. There's several ways to look at it, but Mark, uh, but this scripture in Mark, he says, represents a silent prayer. So when Jesus gave this deep sigh, he was actually praying and asking the Lord. So, in the process of doing that, this guy can speak and hear. Now, look at verse 36. We're going to run into this several times in, in, in all the Gospels. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Um, I I get that. I, I mean, I'd like to say I you know we got 2020 20 hindsight. We can always look back at the scriptures and say, well, you should have done this, you should have done that, and so forth and so on. And you know, you think, well, I would have done that. And and uh, but in this case. He ordered them not to tell anyone, and the more He ordered them not to tell, the wider they spoke about it. So, I don't know why He told them that. I'm I'm actually pursuing that, because I've run into it so often here in the Gospel. But I'm asking the Lord to to help me understand, why did He say that? Because, uh, you know, this is like telling your little kid, don't don't stick your hand in the cookie jar. Because as soon as you do... He's gone to the cookie jar. So in this case, don't tell anybody what I just did for you. Well, when the guy goes out, he doesn't have to tell anybody. He can speak and he can hear. Now they know something happened to him. So that's an interesting thing that Jesus does and he does it several times. Many times, I, I would say. Don't tell anybody what I just did. How do you, how, how, how do you not tell? I don't know that, but I do know people were astonished at what he'd done. It says he has done all things well. He makes even those who are deaf hear and those who are unable to talk speak. So at this point, it's it's easy to understand why they shared this news because their disobedience, at the same time their disobedience, hindered his ministry. Because in one one location uh, earlier, it says he could not go out and minister publicly anymore because of the crowd of people that were after him. So, there is definitely a price to pay for popularity in this situation. Now, he's done all things well and they were utterly astonished. I have seen several things in my walk and in my Christian life that have astonished me. I, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Julia and I in the, in the early 80s, we were there under Kenneth Hagan's ministry, Oral Roberts ministry. We were, we were at Oral Roberts. Julia worked there, and I worked there and took classes there. And, um, at Oral, and Tulsa at that time had some of the, the great healing ministries in the country. T.L. Osborne was there. Uh, of course, Oral was there. And, um, Kenneth Hagan was there. And, uh, Kenneth Hague is not far down the road from where Oral Roberts was. We'd drive right by the, the Rama every time we go to see, uh, you know, go to work, go to Oral. But at this point, we go back and I, I remember, uh, one, uh, one evening, John Osteen, uh, came to the Maybe Center, which is where, uh, the basketball arena is on there. It holds like 10,000 people, at least it did at that time. I don't know if they've expanded it or not, but we saw miracles. We we saw people get healed. We we were Pardon me. We participated in these events. Uh, Kenneth Hagin uh, would have camp meeting every year. Every year during the summer, we would go and attend, and we would see the Holy Spirit move in ways that you just you certainly won't see. In that pastor's church I was telling you about earlier, where people are running around and, and, uh, you could just, your, your skin crawls because you see the things that God's doing. And there's no argument about it because this guy was, was, had something wrong with him. Uh, they laid hands on him and he got healed. Kenneth Copeland, I saw the, the same thing with Kenneth Copeland. He'd lay hands on people and they'd get healed. Same thing, our pastor, uh, David Holt, we went to Uganda for three years in a row, and uh, in Uganda, uh, they expect the Holy Spirit to move in big ways. And I remember one meeting that David and I were at, and um, I'm I'm up front. I I was the PowerPoint guy. I ran the the uh, the electronics uh, for them. And um, uh, after the the host pastor, uh, Pastor Isaac, uh, after he Got the Holy Spirit stirred up, uh, they called David and the people came out and he walked out into the, to the audience and I can remember him standing, I was standing behind him. I've actually got pictures of it. I can't find them right now, but I've actually watched him. He's got his hands out like this and he's just waving his hands at people and they're, they're going down like, uh, they've been chopped down by a weed eater. And I've seen these things happen. I've heard them. They're real. What we want to do is put ourselves in such a position that they happen here in this country. And they happen in our church. That's what we're looking for. Now, um, chapter 7 kind of sets the mark for moving into chapter 8. And chapter 8 is a very interesting chapter. We go to the, to the second Mass feeding that Jesus did—the four thousand were fed—and we Pharisees talk about. uh, Let me let me pull my notes up here. The Pharisees talk extensively about wanting to see a sign, and this is one another thing that I don't get. How could you be in a crowd? Kid's got a a sack lunch from McDonald's. The guy feeds four thousand men probably twelve to 15,000 people in total from one sack of lunch and then you're asking Him for a sign. I, I, I don't get that. I know uh, Heidi Baker in her ministry in Mozambique speaks of this same type of thing happening there. And uh, she expects these things to happen. Uh, they have a ministry where there's 1,000 people are supposed to show up and 5,000 people show up and they don't have enough food. Well, she expects the Lord to do these things and He does. So, maybe after going through these chapters, maybe we can lift our expectations. Maybe we can begin to expect things from God that we hadn't done before. I'm just throwing that out to you because the more I read this and as I, as I walk through these chapters, I see where the Lord is doing things that we ought to be doing, but we're not. So I want to do those things. That, that's one thing I can tell you right now is we want to do those things. But uh, next next session, we're going to move into Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at the feeding of 4,000. Uh, the Pharisees' ridiculous demand for a sign. He's going to talk about the yeast of the Pharisees and, uh, and Herod. We'll talk about that. Uh, he heals another blind guy. Peter declares his faith, and Jesus tells, foretells his death. Again, not much going on, but we're going to cover it in chapter 8, and we're going to dig into it. So, um, I appreciate your taking the time to listen to us. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and look forward to seeing you the next time. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, Uh, We ask You, Lord, as we dig into Your Word, that You would open it up to our hearts. Let us hear what You have to say and let us respond to what You have to say, Father, in a way that honors You and that we can learn more about what the Holy Spirit is doing, what He wants us to do, and how we can move on His behalf. Uh, We thank You for that, Father. We ask You to, to bless this country. The United States is in difficult times right now, Father, with the the people leading it or not following You. But we ask You, Lord, in Jesus' name, that You would help us pray down and shut down the enemy's actions in this country and in our own churches and our own lives so that we can begin to do the things that You're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time. He gave his only hey!